Welcome to Le Portique, your weekly destination to, to hear about what happened in the hospitality industry around the world last week. I'm Miriam and this is Mish. Hello. Uh, what we do is dig through hundreds of newspapers so you don't have to. <laughs> we also keep you updated on current events, what is happening in academia and what softwares are currently changing the hotel industry. Big disclaimer, we do provide links uh, to our sources and we try to stay factual. However, this is our podcast, so you will hear our opinions. Exactly. All right. Let's jump right in. Yep. Hello, Miriam. How was your, how was your week so far? So good? Good. Good. I think it's a very interesting uh, time right now. So, yeah. Okay. I mean... Uh, you, you know, I'm part of the, the real estate industry and I think it has been quite challenging with the raise in interest rates and, and the current prices, so not many transactions are happening. So I guess it's not the easiest time right now, but everybody's kind of seeing on, on how to continue and how it's going. So, yeah. Well, how I about mean, you? Great, great week. Uh, productive. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm not part of the real estate industry per se, so uh, liar. Uh, yes, you are. <laughs> All you did last week was real estate. Don't lie to me. I know what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, but uh, maybe maybe I was on the good end of things. I would say, right? So far, at least. So, um, I mean, we have quite a lot of news on that front as well this week. So I think uh, we can enlighten our listeners as to how everything is going. Let's so do let's it. kick off. With that, uh, we have a follow-up piece of news. Uh, <laughs> for those who don't know, we try to actually follow up on news that we have reported on before that uh, might be interesting. So you don't only hear something once, but actually get to find out how the story develops. You know, we're storytellers, Miriam. If you didn't know, <laughs> um, this time around it's Amsterdam again. I feel like we've been pushing Amsterdam into follow-up news almost every week now. Weekly, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, this time around, it's actually pretty, pretty interesting. Uh, so, do you remember how we talked about all these different destinations trying to do ads to discourage people from coming? Well, Amsterdam did that as well, and apparently it didn't work. <laughs> so it hasn't changed any numbers. Um, oh, that's the follow-up one now? Yeah, exactly. Ah, uh, okay, because Amsterdam already tried to decrease their flight routes and things like that. Just exactly, yes. But the, but this time around, we have the news that... Um, so basically, they had this ad called Stay Away, and they would film... <laughs> I'm not sure if it was uh, a... a uh, basically, a, I think it was an actual real thing happening. So police was... The ad actually is about 23 seconds. It shows a man getting arrested for being drunk and sort of, you know, vandalizing things in Amsterdam. You know, you can see the, <laughs> the guy is, you know, not in a good condition. And then the police brings him uh, to the, you know, to the police station, arrests him, finds him. And then, you know, there's this huge text on the screen is like, you know, come to Amsterdam, party, get fined, get arrested, get a criminal record. You sure you want to do that? Stay away. <laughs> <laughs> I just Googled Amsterdam launches stay away ad campaign. Exactly. Wow. So All this right. was was the not targeted towards friendly family holiday goers <laughs> with kids, <laughs> but rather, you know, party goers who get a bit too drunk and maybe, you know, uh, are not the, the, the favorite kind of tourist of any destination. Well, I mean, not, uh, yeah. Sorry, sorry. I mean, Amsterdam also has a bit of a, right? Many people were just going there to smoke weed, which I guess, at least. 
around here that was very I, that's common. the first time i heard that around name. my <laughs> sorry maybe it's just <laughs> smoke what weed I have heard. yeah how, how dare because they have the coffee shops and really? you you were it was oh you like <laughs> I have I, look. I I do not know what you're talking about, and I have not participated that in any form or type of holiday. Uh, so yeah, uh, basically the the ads didn't work. So there's still a certain amount of people who go to party and you know still smoke weed and still do all the things that you can do in Amsterdam. Also, well, not prostitution, right? Um, uh, what is it called? Sex work is allowed, right? In Amsterdam mm -hmm. as well. There's the red light district, so. For those who don't know. So it didn't work. And they're actually trying now a new approach, uh, which is similar to that what me and you have talked about in regards to, um, what is that, sorry, that city in Italy that is floating on water. God damn it, I forgot the name. Venice. <laughs> yeah, Venice. The famous Dude. Venice city where they try to advertise other destinations next to it so that people yeah. come and go kind of sort of distribute the tourism flow well that's mm -hmm. what they're doing now now so they have a new ad campaign which is more friendly there's people smiling and you know there is no drunk people getting arrested and getting fired <laughs> <laughs> we should link that in the notes the youtube on youtube i find youtube yeah, uh, it's it's the <laughs> sure it's the, the, the ad is genius. I think it's so funny. <laughs> I mean, to me, the joke is right because um, if you put an ad campaign out and you set up sort of a target group, YouTube and any any ad any platform will automatically try to find people who are more or less the target group for that. Yeah. Who? So basically, if you have ever seen this ad without us telling you about it, that means Google has identified <laughs> you as a party beast. <laughs> So I guess congratulations on that one. <laughs> Honestly, but you know what? I think what would be super funny to be part of like that marketing team that can make that campaign. Maybe they're maybe like that people are like, okay, I think our people should have a little bit of fun. And then <laughs> let's make that. I'm also wondering, really, if the ad actually shows a real person or if it's acting, you know? I, I'm, it looks very realistic. So I, I have a feeling some guy was actually filmed. <laughs> and because it's like public streets, they didn't even ask him to leave <laughs> there his permission or something. I'm obviously speculating here, but... <laughs> okay, guys, all speculation, okay. Imagine, uh, go, go to a city party, get drunk a little too much, and then somebody <laughs> arrests you, and you get advertised to the world as a bad example. Like, that's... I mean, and then on your wedding, on your wedding, they're like, "So that was you, Frank, Amsterdam got famous on the Do Not Return campaign." Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Well, you know that. So that was the uh, that was the follow up this week. <laughs> what have you got for us, Miriam? <clears throat> Can you scroll down a little bit? <laughs> um, I mean, one thing that I thought was super interesting is that Citizen M has opened a new campus on the 27th of November um, on the Meadow, Meadows Manly Park campus. And so that started in 2016. They had um, 18 different companies that were kind of applying to build their hotel in, uh, in the Menlo Park um, together with Meta. And yeah, Citizen M was the one winning. So they built 240 guest rooms in a in a 79,000 square meter uh, uh, square feet space. Sorry, I'm always in meters. Um, I found a really interesting combination, Meta and and Citizen M. I think you and I were both kind of Citizen M fans because we think, or at least yeah, I 
find an interesting company the way they have grown. I think they've grown quite steadily over the past years. Um, no, like fast growth. I mean, fast growth, but not crazy. Still sustainable. Um, also, with thirty-two hotels, they are already worth billions, which is exactly. uh, quite a quite a feat to achieve. Um, yeah. Uh, also, quite interesting though, like eighteen brands, right? Um, mm. I mean, you and I have been participating or have heard of, you know different situations with hotel brands were kind of competing for a position. And I remember hearing numbers like 10, 11, 12. Mm. And I thought what, you know, for Meta, you would, there would be like 50, you know, it's just like everybody <laughs> in the world will try to try to open a hotel to next to Meta because it's, it's basically guaranteed income to some extent. Right. And it's also mm. a pretty good deal. So, but only yeah. 18, uh, maybe, I there mean, was maybe that a... was just the 18 were able to like hand in there. Yeah. Right there. The, the the local mums and pubs shops who wanted to open up a small Airbnb were not permitted to participate. Exactly, and I also think like Citizen Man has this has this big tech aspect as well. I remember staying at one of them, and it, it was just exciting how to open the curtains somehow that you could do it from tablets and stuff. <laughs> so they do have a big tech part. They have also there they also built their own backend, right? And I think they were one of the first ones who were building their backend. Um, from scratch to have all the different systems interfacing um, in the backend. Yep. So I guess this they is also, a really good match. They also sell their tech now. There is a company called Snapshot, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. which basically tries to summarize data for you as a hotel uh, performing in the market. And that is tech, Citizen M actually taking the tech they have and selling it to third parties. So. Mm. That's the typical business case, you know, when you develop your own tech and you can start selling it to others because this is all good. At least, you know, all the I startups mean. are trying to do. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I find this a pretty, pretty, pretty exciting piece of news for sure. Uh, good luck to the Citizen M. And obviously, I mean, with the tech curtains, uh, what can go wrong, right? I'm sure the Facebook employees <laughs> will. will... I... No, but you can also color, like, I was so excited, you can change the color of the lighting, just like on your tablet. And I was like, ah. uh, it, it's, it's, I agree with you. It's a very easy concept yet. Uh, even, you know, you know, tech driven developers on Facebook, I'm sure will also be excited in changing their room to pink and <laughs> clicking a button and opening or closing their, their curtains. Cause not everybody has this at home, right? Unless you're really like a smart home freak. I think it's not as widespread. Let's put it this way. Yeah. Exactly. All right. All right. Uh, all right. What do you got today? What do you have? So uh, I have another one, uh, which is uh, actually kind of connected to the Amsterdam story. So there was a very, uh, very good article uh, written in the HVS by the HVS uh, by Courtney Riss, actually uh, an ex-colleague of mine, um, about Charleston. So Charleston in the U.S. has been rated the number one destination, tourist destination, uh, for 11 years now. And um, obviously, you know, it doesn't mean it, have the, it has the numbers of New York or anything, but it's considered like one of the top destinations for tourists to go to within the U.S. And the uh, question is, how is it doing, right? Uh, and I think there's two major pieces of news that we could summarize from an article. It's a pretty long article. Feel free to check out the links to read it. But... Um, its most important one is already by 2022, the destination was fully recovered and, in fact, has shown record, for example, flight arrivals. If you remember, 2022 was the year when most were still <laughs> kind of getting, you know, 50, 60, 70 percent occupancy and from the 2019 levels, while Charleston uh, already basically 
showed the record high numbers in its entire history, right? Uh, and second is, which I found even more interesting. So, do you? I think it's very different from <laughs> U.S. versus you know Europe, uh, because it's the number one destination in uh, you know in the in the U.S. A lot of hotels want to open there. A lot, right? So it's basically like a bit of an oil rush, except it's a hotel rush where, you know, we've all seen the the movies and some of us maybe even read books about the gold rush, the oil rush, you know, when thousands rush to a certain location to make money. Well, that's what kind of was happening in Charleston. So now the, the authority is basically uh, started to try to preserve the historical city center by limiting hotels, also creating zoning. So, for example, certain hotels are only allowed to be built in certain areas, also depending on how many rooms you want to open there. And the the total amount of hotels, which are full service, I think 240 rooms plus, uh, are only, they, are, they are only allowed to be eight of them in the entire city. So this is kind of like, you know, European style. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, almost Barcelona exactly. style. Yeah, exactly. You just give a certain amount of licenses to, to, to actually build businesses around tourism. So I suppose, you know, when, when you are really that developed and your city really turns into just a giant giant tourist trap or, you know, tourist destination, then, uh, it, you know, it basically no matter where you're from or what country, uh, the same measures <laughs> start being put in place where uh, you start limiting the hotel construction and development. And that's what they're doing now, right? They're limiting the development of it. Yeah. Maybe next year we'll see another ad <laughs> coming from Charleston where... <laughs> <laughs> Three tourists get beat up by the police or something in your style. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, right? That's that. That has been a bit of a difference. I mean, the US is so big um, that there's just always so much space to build, kind of unrestricted, unrestrictedly, except in the in, in in big cities. So Charleston is is South Carolina. Um, I mean, I've heard of the city, but I wasn't even sure like what you go to Charleston. So basically, it it if you look at pictures of it, it looks very much like a historical city center, um, sort of like a maybe like a, a small town in Holland or you know so that kind of place. Basically, it's one of the oldest uh, cities that was settled, I think, uh, in the 18th century, and a lot of the architecture was preserved. So you can still see all those cute buildings that we can see in a lot of European cities. Um, mm. And obviously, you know, they didn't have a World War II where people were burning down entire cities. So the city was also preserved. And nobody decided to redevelop it, turn it, turn it, tear everything down and <laughs> build a bunch of beautiful 1970s buildings with uh, uh, 10 floors high with glass and metal. So kind of by coincidence, it became a, um, a tourist destination. So. Oh, yeah. Right at the water as well. So, yep. Interesting. Yep. Um, all right, Miriam. Okay, let's talk about Numa again. Ooh, and, what's uh, Numa? Tell us. <laughs> the service apart, digital service apartment provider from Europe, a startup that has been growing like crazy over the past few years. That wow. people were working for. Um, oh. Exception, for example, you and me. Um, oh, so. Really? <laughs> you, Numa, we were talking about it before as well, and Numa got money rise during their past round, and now they have purchased their competitor service apartment platform called Yase. 
um, from the Netherlands. They already have properties in the Netherlands, Belgium and France. And I think these were exactly markets that um, Numa kind of had challenges to enter and find properties and sign properties. So by, by purchasing that company, they just added 489 units to, to their portfolio. That's about 20% of the current portfolio. Now in total, they have 5,200 units live. It's a lot, I think. So what do you think? How, how is that integration going to go? I mean, that depends who, uh, who will be taking care of it and if they will be taking care of it, of course. But uh, I'm sure it's going to go great. Uh, Numa has already experience integrating other companies, which luckily they can learn from, right? So it's not the first time. Mm, exactly. Um, so they already probably... purchased friendly rentals uh, in Spain. So the there, there are playbooks in place that were set to actually <laughs> do this. And, uh, Mish made playbooks just for you guys to know. <laughs> no, but, um, right, so, I, I, yeah. but it's interesting to see, right, I think a lot of uh, companies are doing mm -hmm. that to grow, right? You, if, if you, it's obviously, it's, you try for a year to sign a bunch of properties and try to get things mm -hmm. going in the market, and then you just realize, well, let's just buy a company, and mm -hmm. boom, suddenly things start happening. You buy a bunch of contacts, and... Uh, you create the momentum you need to actually uh, keep growing. Um, and and I mean, I think this also says something about a market, right? Um, as soon as other companies start buying uh, other companies that do the same thing, it shows that it's quite of an, an established market as well. Um, yeah, and um, obviously, I mean, all the big companies are famous for doing this, right? Some, yeah. Certain giants of the industry don't even grow anymore themselves. They just buy, 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 right? Maybe not even in the hotel industry per se, but let's say in the tech industry, Google and Facebook are famous for not really developing their own tech and well, just buying startups that do some of the stuff, right? And uh, that's that's the way of growing. That's just exactly. that's, that's the way I mean, that's. I think especially in the hospitality industry, that's exactly what's happening as well. If we look at Choice Hotels, right, trying to buy Vinham, um, who also just this franchise or Marriott has purchased the fueler company, Accor has been buying, you know, innovative hotel concepts. So I think it's definitely in the hospitality industry as well. Of course, of mm -hmm. course. It's, it's just, right, the, the, the growth method, right, they still have to open up their own hotels. They still start their own brands sometimes, for mm. example. Of course, started their own hostel chain, right, a few years back. Um, so they still no, do their own purchased. thing. No, that purchased. You mean Joe and Joe's? No, it, 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 they started it from scratch together with, internally. Yeah. I can correct Let's one. Google it. <laughs> I know that by, for a fact. They for didn't a fact, purchase, all right, okay. They, they, had a, they, had, they started a test project in Hosegor. I don't want to mispronounce that, but that's a town, okay. coastal town in south, wait, north. Um, at the coast, so a coastal town in France next to Spain, and they started the first hotel together with a few intrapreneurs, not entrepreneurs, but a few internal mm -hmm. people who they partnered with, and uh, then they started duplicating it, right? Okay, so, what is it called now? What's the hostel called? Joy and Joy. It's always ours. Mm -hmm. Never changed. And the property they had was uh, is something that Accor had access to for a while. They just didn't know what to do with it, and they turned okay. it into a hostel. Yeah. All so, right. um, <laughs> I am intrinsically <laughs> informed about hostel, hostel growth of different brands. So, I, um, I wonder why. Yeah, but um, right. So, uh, yeah. but uh, compared to Google, they just I, it's what I've, what I've read is they they don't really. 
do a lot of innovation anymore. They just literally look on the market and use part of their, you know, 270 billion or whatever cash pot to buy things. So at least that was the case a few years ago. Uh, okay. On that front, next piece of news. Um, so what do we have? I guess it's my turn. Um, well, I would like to talk about something that uh, <laughs> initially I found extremely boring. <laughs> but 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 um, then it turned into something that actually is very insightful. So, the section called Academia, your favorite part. Mm. Uh, there is, or there was a paper that came out um, this week, uh, basically analyzed the financial statements of 74 hotels in Saudi Arabia and try to compare that to sort of the market and see how the hotels in Saudi Arabia are doing, uh, mm -hmm. whether they're profitable or not, how much uh, on average they are, and so on and so forth. Now, um, there is a lot, of, a lot of things in there, right? It's, a, I think, a 50-page uh, paper that goes into a lot of different uh, financial <laughs> performance indicators. But one of the ones that I found most interesting is uh, return on equity. So simplified, return on equity means you've put some money in. So how much are you being, so the profit of the hotel you currently have, how much of a return that is on the amount of money that you've put in to open the hotel basically, right? And this is specifically also connected to not just, um, well, I mean, you can go into a lot of details there. Let's keep it simple, right? <laughs> basically, how much money are you making uh, compared to how much you've invested? And <laughs> the, the current average return on equity is in the minus. So minus wow. 0 0.29. And that um, the article goes into detail as to why, but you know, you can imagine inflation, uh, uh, interest rates, sort of depreciation of the assets. So effectively, the money that if people have put in, on average, of course, there's hotels that are making crazy return on investment uh, or return on equity. But uh, on average, people are basically losing money. So they could have taken that money, put it into a bank account and got an interest rate and would have made more money than opening the hotels. Um, now, right, I think in, a, in an environment where Saudi Arabia is famous, <laughs> Saudi Arabia or, you know, uh, Dubai, Abu Dhabi, all those regions are famous for this sort of uh, hyped five-star, seven-star, 10-star hotels with 50 golden toilets in one room, right? Um <laughs> So basically, the article concludes, right? There is, if you read the abstract, just abstract, the article, the, the 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 paper concludes that Saudi Arabia's hotels need to, you know, it says conservatively or you know very politely needs to increase its increase its profit margins and operational efficiency. Uh, oh. But basically, in a nutshell, um, all that hyped tourism growth in Saudi Arabia. I mean, obviously, this does not present every single hotel. And it only talks about 74 of them, right? It's not, it doesn't mm -hmm. have to be necessarily an industry average. It's 74 hotels that were talked about here. Mm -hmm. But it, it shows maybe to me at least a, a sign that Saudi Arabia should perhaps, and I'm, I'm sure uh, United Arab Emirates and a few other regions should change their strategy slightly, right? Mm -hmm. Because busting up luxury hotels for 200 million often enough is a project that will return money in 100 years. And, um, mm. if you but see is it possible that that was their that is their strategy anyway? That is okay. We're building them for a lot of money. It, I mean, it's also I have to say these kind of luxury hotels for me it was also how they were put, kind of on the map. So actually, those 
luxury hotels maybe also bring a lot of other business which wasn't considered in that study is that possible correct right? people traveling there so. kind of impacts the whole areas so they cannot maybe for the hotel investors there's a negative return on investment but it's quite possible that um it was still very good for Saudia, saudi arabia itself also for a country that <clears throat> has basically an unlimited amount of oil that they sell right mm -hmm. equity or sort of uh you know cash pure cash mm -hmm. can come very cheap you know in brackets right so if you take mm -hmm. a loan or you have maybe some government program maybe that money was effectively at the cost of zero for the investor mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. so it's basically yes the hotels currently the, the the amount of money you could have if you could have put in you could have maybe made more somewhere else but as you say this obviously doesn't account in for indirect revenues, for taxes that were brought into the government, for jobs that were created, mm -hmm. for inbound tourists or business that was also made, right? Because people come and think of uh, this region as something where they can also do business, right? All of that is not here, mm -hmm. right? That's for mm -hmm. sure not. Uh, but the question is, right, it's obviously, you can see, you know, imagine a bar graph, right? And you have a surplus here and a uh, uh, basically a negative over here, right? Mm -hmm. So at what point? Would you say that you know the return on equity is so low that we really have to do something else? Mm -hmm. uh, maybe not yet, right? I mean, obviously, so far the news are very good coming from there in mm -hmm. terms of the travel industry. But, see. but maybe long term, uh, I think there it, it, you can definitely talk about uh, trying to optimize your your profits and your revenues and maybe retargeting because for example we've talked about it last week or we didn't talk about it we we reported we had a part of our newsletter last week uh i think i don't remember the exact number but about 82 percent of new hotels that were being in the in the development pipeline in um, that region were luxury hotels so you're basically fo focusing entirely almost on one segment of tourists or travelers and um, as we know, if you if you bank on one type of person, you might <laughs> fall into a crisis at some point. Yeah, but but we also looked at a lot of articles that said that right, the luxury. And so we have two industries grow or like two segments growing. We have the luxury um, tourists. There's still constant, and you have kind of the budget tourism, which is still constant. So actually, in a way, I find a very interesting strategy because if you I mean, there are always going to be people who have a lot of cash. And if they're all going to Saudi Arabia, it's a really good strategy uh, in that sense. Because you attract, right? You attract people with money doing business um, to that area. No, it, it's obviously working for them. Um, but, you know, every economics case study says you need to be diversified, mm, right? Absolutely. And at some point, the... You know, and there might be a financial crisis that specifically focuses on business business owners, right? Mm. <laughs> you never know. In fact, that kind of happened in 2008, right? And suddenly all these business luxury travelers have stopped traveling, right? And they go home and basically sit on their ass and, well, you know, try to so save, to business. try to wait it out, you know? <laughs> right? So, uh, for example, in 2008, there was a boom for hostel travel in 2009 mm. uh, because mm. people were... A lot of people fell into the budget category and, uh -huh. you know, just decided to start traveling via hostel <laughs> approach. Um, so, well, I mean, right, there's nothing else I think to say here. So cool. it's a pretty, it's, it's a very, it's I think this study actually to look at, yeah, how they, how they 
they go into a lot of numbers, a lot of numbers, and uh, we, we've just scratched the surface here. So for those who really uh, like financial statements <laughs> and <laughs> performance indicators, uh, please uh, check out the link. I'd like to see um, how hotels are burning cash. That's your chance. <laughs> Also, man, if you if you're right, if you're doing a business case for the new hotel in Saudi yeah. Arabia, right, you can that will be a perfect source of information for you. For sure. um, okay, uh, I think right. we have room for one more piece of news. One Miriam. more little piece of news. I mean, one I just found funny was that um, in the U.S., Biden um, has kind of unveiled or is kind of trying to to combat junk fees for hotels, and I was kind of wondering what are junk fees for. I was like. Why do you need to ban them? Um, but so what happens? I haven't really seen it in Europe, to be honest. I, we always in Europe we have tourism tax that when you go to a hotel you always kind of need to pay an additional three euros per night because that's a tourism tax and that that just added to your bill. But somehow in the U.S. Um, they can charge you, especially in resorts, kind of destination or amenity fees, um, and they average about. 42 euros per night and they're kind of charge you for the free internet and um, renting the snorkeling equipment and and things like that so actually there's yeah um, a lot coming up that hotels need to have them included in their pricing and what is super interesting um, that hotels make about 3 billion euros just from these charges over one year. So I don't know. Mish, have you? Do we have them in Europe or no? Haven't seen them. I'm, I'm actually was live uh, googling for this while we were talking <laughs> about this. Uh, I don't have concrete information yet, but it, Europe has um, a basically a uh, consumer law. Uh-huh. That uh, first of all, for example, they they disallowed booking, right? That was the organization that disallowed booking from forcing um, minimum prices available on their websites, mm-hmm. and they also have a unfair pricing uh, law. Basically, I don't know the article here or anything, but uh, basically, you're supposed to be able to compare prices. Uh, you're not supposed to be fooled by discounts and then charged back when you arrive. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there, there is uh, also personalized pricing. Pricing is to some extent not allowed. For example, if you are in Europe, you're supposed to be able to get access to the lowest price, right? So uh, you can be advertised different things, but you cannot be... Um, so. But I don't see any specific information on hidden fees, but um, I have a feeling Europe has got that covered because you're... I think in Europe... You just say, I don't pay that. It wasn't on my bill and it wasn't part of the, the offering, no? But exactly. think about yeah. it. If they charge you $42 per day, additionally to your bill, if you stay 10 days, just 420 bucks more than what you were planning on paying. I mean, <clears throat> it also could be right. <clears throat> I mean, we've all been to hotels in Europe and, you know, anywhere else where you arrive and they say, oh, actually, internet is 20 euros. You're right, and the spa costs additional interest for fifteen bucks. Yeah, exactly okay. right. So, so you you but, get your basic offering. You can sleep in the bed, and you get a key. Mm, but the rest becomes. Um, so you know, I think this is a bit of a gray zone in that sense. Yeah. Right. They they're not allowed to charge you to sleep extra in your bed, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, there and could be right. a very detailed description somewhere of terms and agreements that says, "Oh, maybe you don't get linen." Uh, <laughs> In small letters on the page 50, 58, right? So, uh, 
uh, you need to pay extra for that linen. I mean, there's a very few hotels that do that, but I think we can experience this in some places across Europe as well. I mean, yeah, so the Federal Trade Commission in the U.S. aims to enact a ban mandating transparent upfront pricing for the hotels. That sounds like a pretty, a pretty, pretty good law. Also, I mean, also for for any resort or any location, right? I mean, expectation gaps is like the one on one of guest satisfaction. If you have someone arrive and you've sold them something, and then suddenly you have a bunch of other fees, people are not yep. happy, and then that yeah, thanks you. Sorry, that tanks your reputation, and um, yeah, what do you, what do you think, Miriam? But if it becomes a common practice, right, between people start getting used to it. Like, I'm also getting used to it that they always add three euros to my bill because I need to pay tourism tax. And if that is something that is common, people start accepting it after a certain while. All the hotels are doing it. Three billion US dollars sounds like it's a very common thing for sure, yeah. (laughs) All right, all right. I think we have arrived um, at the end of our time for this podcast. Yes, we have. Very nice chat to you thank yes very mutual miriam and i think we can thank our listeners for coming back to us um feel free to check out the links in the description where we provide uh, the full article with the with the newsletter and the sources and also other news that we haven't discussed so don't forget you might miss news of this week and then you will talk to your friends somewhere over a coffee and they will know what happened in the industry this week and you didn't because you didn't check out the newsletter are you trying to guilt listeners now? Yes, yes, because I mean everybody Thank wants you. to be informed. <laughs> 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 that is correct, Miriam. All right. On that note, I guess have a great week. Bye bye everyone. Bye-bye. Bye bye.